It's 8 o'clock Pacific time, and this is Space 101.1 KMGP LPFM Magnuson Park, Seattle. That sound can mean only one thing. That's right, time for another voyage exploring the past, present, and future of the old Oregon country. Come aboard and get set to ply the waters of the Pacific Northwest, metaphorical and otherwise, on another thrilling episode of Cascade of History. And now, stumbling out of the cluttered purser's office of the SS Columbia, here's your host, Felix Bonnell. Good evening and welcome to another live broadcast of uh, Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM. Um, we are one of the only stations with actually live people in the studio doing a show on a Sunday night. Um, we haven't figured out that that's a silly thing to do yet. And actually, in fact, coming up after this show at 9 p.m., Jay's Radio Hour will be on. I've got a little, uh, he's playing, he made a trip to OMAC recently apparently and picked up a whole truckload of old 78s and he'll be playing a bunch of stuff from that uh, that recent treasure hunt on his show, which comes on right after uh, Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM. I am Felix Bennell. Uh, we are got a pretty interesting show ahead for you tonight. We're going to talk a little bit later on to Sean Murphy about this uh, the wreck of this old tug, the Bahada. He's been doing work on that for a really long time, makes presentations about it around the area. And um, anyway, he'll tell us a story about that tugboat. Um, we are going to play the third installment, one we tried to play last week. I don't know if you, if you listened to last week's program. We spent the whole hour on Memorial Stadium. Um, <laughs> it was kind of a, uh, it was like a uh, procedural about the Memorial Stadium uh, landmark designation process uh, through the city of Seattle and how twisted and bizarre that whole process is when the building owner is forced to go through the landmarking process, but they don't want it to become a landmark. Anyway, don't get me started on that. But anyway, uh, we ran out of time last week. We had so many big, long clips of people saying impenetrable remarks about that stadium. We ran out of time to play the third installment in our in Their Name Was Courage. And this is this it's a radio series about Seattle history produced in 1951 for the Seattle Centennial by a pretty famous uh, educator named Gloria Chandler. And uh, the, I think the Seattle Junior League was the, uh, the organization under whose auspices it was uh, produced. We might remember the tease um, at the end of uh, installment two, how that came to a close. Let's let's just re- listen back to that. Then suddenly, word came. White men were in squally country. They were traders, and Seattle, remembering the smile of Captain Vancouver, hurried to greet them, eager to barter. What have you, big redskin? Fine beaver skins. To trade for white man's poo-poo stick. <laughs> I think I actually started to play the entire third episode. They're going to play the third installment. We're going to play later tonight. I meant to play this tease. And he led them in war when the northern enemies attacked. That's what but it was. But he always carried peace in his heart. <laughs> and always the dream was with him. <laughs> That's like each week when I do this show, it's like I'm doing it for the very first time. It's always very exciting because the equipment is just, uh, it's always new to me. No, it's, I don't, since if I did this every day, it might be a little smoother, so... Anyway, I've never been accused of being slick, put it that way. All right, um, so we will hear the rest of that exciting third installment, which we just got not only a tease of, but kind of a preview of as well. Um, before we do all that, um, one, oh, one quick more, quick little thing. On the Facebook page right now for Cascade of History, which if you haven't liked it, you should, 
There's a link to a story uh, from Vancouver, Washington. They found a big cistern. They're doing a um, construction project in downtown Vancouver, Washington, and they uncovered a big surprise, a huge brick underwater or underground cistern for storing water to use probably for firefighting. They think it might date to the early 1900s. Um, I think it's it's probably going to be destroyed as part of the construction process, but go to the Facebook page. And there's a link to a really cool story about that uh, kind of exciting discovery if you're into that kind of stuff, which I assume if you're listening to the show and it's this many minutes into the show, you're into that kind of stuff. So, all right. Um, our first guest tonight, we're going to join, see if we can get her on the phone with us right now. It's Lori Carter. There's this... Um, there's this little community history project, a historic preservation project going on down in Pierce County in the community of Sumner. I covered this for the other radio station I worked for. I went down to a city council open house and talked to some residents down there. And Lori Carter lives nearby, and she was the first person who sort of brought the story to my attention. I want to see if we can get her on the Space 101.1 FM newsline right now. Let's see. Lori, well, can you hear me? I can. Thank oh, that's you. terrific. Thank you for joining us tonight. And, um, just give you a, a little brief introduction. So you've lived down in that part of uh, Pierce County for a while? Yes, since the 1980s. Okay. And when you and I first talked a couple weeks ago, I had never heard of the Ryan House before. Um, briefly, it's a publicly owned Victorian home. Dates back, parts of it dates back to the 1860s, 1870s, 1880s. And what's going on with it? It's under some kind of threat, right? Correct. So the Ryan House is the equivalent to the Meeker Mansion in Puyallup. Uh, it was uh, the home of Lucy and George Ryan, who were uh, uh, early settlers in Sumner. And uh, the family deeded the property to the city of Sumner uh, when Lucy Ryan died in 1925, so it actually went into the city's hands in 1926. Um, and uh, it was to be used as a library. Uh, part of the house was built in 1875, and uh, the library was installed in the portion of the building dated in the 1880s. Hmm. It grew so rapidly that they had to add more rooms, and uh, they restored the oldest section in 1930. So there's like three different sections of the house yeah, which, o- which, built over time. Which wasn't uncommon, because you'd start with, like, you know, back in the, that part of the 19th century, if you were coming to this part of the country and you, you were homesteading or whatever, you would build a small yeah. cabin, but uh-huh. it didn't, didn't make sense to tear the cabin down. You would add to it. And in this case, they added this very, it's a very elaborate, it's a, it's a gorgeous looking building. I got a chance to see it in person when I came down a few weeks ago. Um, I was, this, it's such a strange story because it seems like for the last couple of years, the city of Sumner has been getting all this grant money and doing all this work and all this um, preparation to do a fairly major restoration, upgrade, ADA, all the systems and everything to give the mansion another, Orion House, I guess, another what, another 150 years of life, but then something happened. Right. So, uh, yeah, back in 2018 is when uh, Herman Palmer started uh, putting in for the grant, and I understand that she got like a million dollars in grants, and it was several different grants. And they got into the house uh, just recently, and uh, started doing the renovation work, and the ceiling collapsed, and they determined that it was not safe. Uh, and so the building has been vacant. It's been boarded up. There's a sign that says you cannot enter. Uh, and on September 18th, the council decided to demolish the building. It's scheduled for demolition on November 3rd. 
And I know that didn't sit well with a lot of people in Sumner who I talked to when I was down there who just have driven by this house for decades. They went to it when it was a library back in the, you know, until about, I guess, about, what, 40 years ago when they built the new library. It ceased. It had right. been the library for 50 years or something. Yeah. It's a great location. It's right kind of in the, it's, a, it's kind of a odd anachronistic, you know, Victorian house in the middle of all this sort of more recent, and when I say more recent, I mean some of it's like 1920s, 1930s, right. Sumner development. It seems like just this little jewel of a, of a little like a public park area around the house, a decent-sized footprint for the house that could be used for the Sumner Historical Society again. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it's not just about sentimentality. The people I'm, I've talked to aren't just like, you know, oh, I, I went to the library there when I was a kid. We should save it. It's more about right. this notion of carrying forward into the future by doing something cool with this house for which there's already these resources identified. It's just, from my outsider's perspective of living in Seattle and coming down and talking to people, the city, you know, 180 just seemed really abrupt. And it seemed like the, you know, the people in Sumner and people nearby who care about this place were sort of totally, like, ambushed by the decision. Correct. And, um, and, and there's been sort of, you guys have, there's a group that's organizing and doing stuff now. Right. So they have a Facebook page. It's called Save Ryan House. There's a donate button there. Also, the Sumner History Group is also on Facebook. They are also working on this. So there's two different groups. Um, we went to the homecoming parade Friday night, handed out flyers, <laughs> talked to a lot of people along the parade route. Um, many people were just finding out for the first time. Many people donated. Uh, we took donations. Uh, and, you know, it would really be nice to use those donations for restoration of the house instead of paying for the attorney that's been hired to try to stop this demolition. I, I love that idea of this past Friday night, what was it, October 13th, being homecoming in, mm-hmm. Sum, in Sumner. And there's, there's a homecoming parade in downtown Sumner. Is that an annual thing? Yes. Has that been going on for, like, forever? <laughs> for a while. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it's been going on for a while, yeah. And I just love the idea of uh, volunteers, you know, people who care enough about local history and care enough about historic preservation, like printing up flyers and like going out and sort of, you know, yeah. can't remember, was it was it pouring down rain Friday night? Or was it kind of mild Friday night? I can't remember. What it the was, was mild. Like. Okay. It was mild. Uh, people had signs they were waving. Save Ryan House. We oh, that's flyers, great. Oh, that's a cool. table in front of Ryan House. A lot of people there to talk. A um, couple donation containers, which a lot was donated in cash, but also. Oh. Using people were using the donation button, so, and a lot of people were really concerned and were hearing about it for the first time. So. Did, did the parade go right by the Ryan House? Yes. Oh, that's cool. That's <laughs> I, I, I wish I would have been able to make it down. That would have been that would have been fun to be there. I, you know, I'm this. You know, I do stories like this about different communities around Western Washington for the other radio station I work for, and I get to sort of parachute in, whether it's by phone, like I did initially with you, and then come down in person mm-hmm. to that city city council open house and stuff. And it's like, it's kind of, I, I always feel like an outsider because, you know, it's, I don't live there. But I also just sort of feel like this sort of, uh, I don't know, I want to be down there at the barricades. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's hard for me to be impartial about this stuff. Fortunately, my the, my other, my employer at the radio station, I get to be impartial about this stuff and because I, I love it. I just, I guess, like, I'm jealous of that community spirit that you that appears to be sort of coalescing around this thing um, because I think, so there's, but there's an attorney who's been hired, though. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. The, okay. save, uh, the Save Ryan House uh, group has an attorney. Wow. And so <laughs> we are collecting money to pay for the attorney. Nice. And uh, so it would be, I think, more beneficial to sit down with the council and have, like, maybe a town hall meeting 
and sit there and come up and brainstorm some ideas and put just table this for the time being, not work so fast. They yeah. made the decision on you know, September 18th, and there has not been a council meeting since then that people could talk about this, uh, having just found out about it. So yeah. uh, people have taken action, and this is where we're at. And I think it would be better to use the money to help with the restoration and have a positive outcome than being adversarial. So Yeah, that's the tough part. The transition, I mean, ideally, the city of Sumner will hit the pause button and give the group time to raise more money mm-hmm. give, and work with the group to, do, to find some positive solution because that uh, it's just it's a needless needlessly generates all this ill will. Now, there is a city council meeting tomorrow night, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. It's at 6 o'clock at Sumner City Hall at 1104 Maple Street. Okay. Do you expect a pretty good turnout for this particular issue? We do. Um, A lot of people said that they are going to be there. And uh, so hopefully, you know, the citizens of Sumner will get to speak and say what's on their mind or come up with their ideas and share them with the council and the mayor. Um, The open house was an opportunity to do that with uh, city staff. The city council was not present at the open house. Yeah. It's, so, a, it's a good thing the Seahawks were on Monday Night Football two weeks ago, and that, that would be tough to <laughs> it would be tough to compete with the the Monday Night Football. Um, right. So, is this? Do you know? Is this? Is there actually a formal item on the agenda, or this will be more sort of the public comment kind of uh, general? This it is not on the agenda. I looked at the agenda earlier this afternoon, and okay. I did not see anything about it there. Uh, so it would be at public comments that people would speak and say what they have to say. Okay. Because, I mean, is there, has there been a formal ask from some group, either in writing or somehow saying, like, you know, dear city of Summer, irrespective of this city council meeting tomorrow night, has there been a formal ask of, say, hey, please, please give us a year to please hit the pause button? Or is this sort of, is that communication not quite happening yet on that level? Many people have contacted the council and the mayor uh, through email by leaving phone messages. Uh, I think it's been kind of overwhelming. And uh, so there has been some written responses uh, from the mayor uh, that I've seen. Uh, So really, it's just the people saying what they have to say, but not really getting any feedback or anything like that. So tomorrow night will be hopefully an opportunity for the public to do that. Okay. So those emails that you've seen, the responses from the mayor, can you sort of paraphrase or? Um, the, the decision has been made. Oh, so and they're just sticking to the, they're just sticking to the, right. so far. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. Um, now, I, you know, I, I don't pay that close attention to what goes on in Sumner, and I haven't heard Sumner in the news that I can recall in the past, you know, year or two for anything specific. I'm sure there's, you know, they, Sumner has its fair share of good news and bad news stories and everything. But has there been anything like this where um, a group is organized around something that's sort of, that seem, where they seem so passionate about it, and it seems like it's kind of like the what they want is something so positive? Can you think of anything similar in, in recent years where there's been this kind of level of community interest in something like this? In Sumner, I have not heard of anything, no. Um, So, uh, you know, it's 
seems like it's kind of moved fast, and some people said they didn't know about these things. Yeah. I think part of the problem was the COVID shutdowns. You couldn't go to the council meetings in person anymore. Yeah. The Ryan House was closed. The public couldn't come in. Uh, and then about the time, it was right before COVID hit that the city started getting the grants, and they had this positive outlook of what they were going to do with the Ryan House. But then COVID hit. People weren't as engaged, and we've gotten to this point. So, you know, it's kind of been an outcome from the COVID outbreak and all the shutdowns that I think has contributed to the non-communication of this whole thing. Yeah. That people weren't aware that uh, it just kind of snuck in there. Yeah. And everything's been very positive in the press about it, and then all of a sudden this. Yeah. So it hit a lot of people and caught them by surprise. I mean, hopefully that you know the city council will understand the importance of giving a group like you know, like the group that wants us to that wants time and uh, time to revisit this. They'll they'll hopefully they'll see the value in doing that because I know there's really no. I guess part of it seems like that seems like the determination about whether the house is safe or not it seems like it's pretty subjective. Um, seen lots of old house houses that have structural problems mm-hmm. but it's all just a matter of you know will if there's if there's will to to do the project there's ways to do things with you know it's not like it's not like a, it has, has to be an unlimited budget to save a, a 19th century home um and address the sort of structural issues it's not like the, the size of it's relatively contained you know you know i'm I don't know specific numbers on it, but it seems to me like just based on the images I've seen and based on what the city has said in their different communications, it seems like it's more of a a lot of subjectivity in terms of whether it has to actually be torn down versus it still could be restored given, you know, increasing the budget by some percentage over what they originally thought. And, you know, who hasn't worked on an old house where the budget doesn't increase as you find, you know, you peel off something, you find something. And obviously this is the structural issues. I'm not downplaying those or trying to Right. Just dismiss those, but it just seems like a much more deliberative process could really address the issue and really get public input that didn't seem to be collected once they figured this out back in May. I think that there was actually an issue. I mean, it seems like it's sort of that's my understanding. Yeah, it's sort of they they knew about this back in May, but the word didn't really get out until yeah. until this this meeting to vote to demolish September. back in September. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Huh, it's a yeah. shame. I hope it. I hope it really turns out. I hope you guys get a chance to do something cool with that because it's you know like there is the what's the the um, the Meeker Mansion over in Kent. Um, and what's the one in Puyallup? No, that's Meeker in Puyallup. Meeker, Meeker yeah, Puyallup. that's the Neely Mansion in Kent. That's right, or Auburn. Right. Auburn, excuse Auburn. me, Auburn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mixing mm-hmm. up my um, South King County, North Pierce County um, communities. Because in general, there's very few houses that date back, very few buildings, period, that date back as far as the Ryan House. I mean, this is a it's a very rare old house to have portions of which date to the 1860s, if I'm understanding correctly, like the cabin right. part of it. That's yeah. that's and a long time ago. Yeah, when Washington wasn't even a state yet. Yeah, yeah. It's when this first came to be, this, these houses and that. So, I mean, and I just came back from a trip to Savannah and Charleston, and there's people that live in houses that are older than the Ryan House just on an everyday basis. They... Yeah have maintained many, many neighborhoods of houses of this era. And, uh, you know, I, I just, it, it, it's, it's historical, and it's a way to teach people about the history of the area. But, um, you know, my uh, 
husband's grandfather. We have a picture of him from 1916, and he's on a 1916. He's on a trike, and it didn't appear to have any tires. <laughs> and then we thought, gosh, why doesn't his trike have any tires? Well, we went to the Ryan House uh, during the Rhubarb Festival one year, and they had a trike just like the one he was on. And it was because they were hard rubber tires, because there was no roads back then. They were either mud or gravel or brick. And inflatable tires didn't work. It was the beginning of when the automobile was becoming popular. He lived in Detroit, and the um, main thoroughfare came through just like two years before his picture was taken on that trike. So that's cool. We learned about my husband's family who lived in Detroit by going to the Ryan House in Sumner. It's that kind of experiences, learning things by going to different museums and different houses and seeing the the way homes were back in the day. And you just can't replace that once they're gone. Absolutely. And that character part of it, I mean, you mentioned the Rhubarb Festival, another great event that happens in Sumner along with that homecoming parade that it's like, I love, I mean, that's just like, that's what a cool thing that just, you know, an hour away or so from Seattle when there's no traffic, um, that there's cities like Sumner that, you know, like, I know they, uh, other cities, other communities, they focus on their the cultural heritage as a way of like um, making them more distinct. Like so, you can tell the difference between Sumner and mm-hmm. Algona Pacific, and mm-hmm. you know Kent and mm-hmm. Auburn. And it seems like if the city of Sumner was savvy about this, they would see the value of having a way to distinguish themselves and elevate it. I would drive to the homecoming parade if I knew about it far enough in advance. I'd come to the homecoming parade. I'd come to the rhubarb mm-hmm. festival too. I certainly would come mm-hmm. and visit the the Ryan House. But mm-hmm. you got it's it's you got to sort of I guess a the entity, the municipality, if they don't put the effort into coordinating the promotion of it, then it, it's easy to be missed. Again, I'd never heard of the Ryan House until, I think, until you reached out to me. That was the first I'd heard of it. Um, and we just, there is a good um, uh, chamber of commerce in Sumner, and they have, like, walking tours that you can take of some of the older downtown area, uh, some great stores downtown to go to, destinations, great restaurants. Yeah. Um and there's a, a heritage park also, uh, and some older buildings down on that part of the town. It's mm-hmm. really fun to go to, especially during Rhubarb Festival. Uh, they, they just got all kinds of stuff going on. So it, they do have a lot of different festivities in, in Sumner downtown area there. So, you know, the Rhine House is part of that area. And some of the trees and shrubs that are planted around there, Mr. Ryan went and got himself and brought them and planted them in the yard. One oh. of them was a holly tree that somebody took all the branches off of since this decision was made. And the holly tree, which is about 125 years old, is now totally bare. Is that and, the one that's been decorated for Christmas every year for like 100 years yes. or something? Wow. Yeah, so, that's so it's cool. very sad to see because, you know, Man. plants are heritage too. So, uh to see that destruction of that tree. So not sure how that happened, but it's it's in sad shape. Might it come back if a arborist trimmed it properly? Might it have a chance of regrowing? Uh, I'm or? hoping it's like the banyan tree in, in Lahaina that maybe yeah. uh, it will sprout new growth. I, yeah. I'm hopeful. So, you know, huh. there's more than just the house that's there that's historic. So, Well, I mean, for someone who's never been there, for instance, I mean, how would you describe Sumner? Why is Sumner there? What's it? What makes it different from those other nearby communities that we talked about? Well, uh, because it is old. It has a historic downtown. It has buildings that have been there for decades, huh. and they have, you know, 
unique shops in there. They're mom and pop stores. Yeah. And you go down there, um, have some lunch, wander around through the stores. Uh, there's all kinds of stores. And, um, you know, plant shops, used bookstores. Mm-hmm. Um, and did they have had their share of fires that have destroyed some of the buildings recently, oh, and that's like, been yeah. very sad. Like Casey's Caboose uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. Yes, yes. So, um, so there's many different things to see, and it's fun to take the historic building walk. You go uh, and get the map, and you can walk through the town, and you, you can make a whole day of it going just through the shops, uh, checking the buildings, having lunch, um, some great restaurants. See, wouldn't it be cool to have the like the little community group working with the city to promote the history and do stuff like cool programs and projects and tours and like mm-hmm. heritage mm-hmm. festival weekend rather than sort of battling mm-hmm. over trying to do the obvious right thing <laughs> and saving the rent? That's the one thing you know. You mentioned like Savannah and other places where there's all these old homes that people have you know their individual private owners have restored or at least maintained. Right. The rare cool thing about the Ryan House is it's publicly it belongs to you know I say it belongs to all of us. It belongs to everyone yeah. in Sumner. That's a piece of mm-hmm. public property. Everyone has a stake in saying what mm-hmm. happens to it. And the city council needs to listen to that. Otherwise, they're not good politicians if they don't listen to what the people want. I, it's my personal opinion. Again, I don't live in Sumner, but I think it's, uh, I, I, I love when public buildings are historical and the public entities, uh, there's, there's a lot of good public entities that take really good care of their historic buildings and others, others that less so. But uh, I hope the case can be made to the city council tomorrow night or in some other, sometime before November 3rd, you said? Of the demo Correct. Yesterday? That's the date that I've heard is Boy, November that's, 3rd. That's, a, that's no. a fast track, I think. That's that's a super fast track on for that sort yes. of thing. So, yes. Well, um, let keep me posted. I'll probably reach out to you. I, I'm trying to think if I can make it down there for the city council meeting tomorrow night. Is there an online option to listen, or is it only after the fact they post the thing online? Do you know? I think you should be able to listen online. Yeah, I might have to do a non-drive. That might be a virtual attendance tomorrow night for me, just given the rest of my schedule. But um, Lori Carter, thanks for joining us. Thanks for giving us painting a little picture of Sumner for us and the work going on down there to save the Ryan House. Keep us posted. We'll uh, we'd love to have you every everyone back on or do a live. You know, I'd really like to do if you guys are able to save it or at least shut it down. Let's do this show. Let's do Cascade of History live from the Ryan House on the porch one Sunday night. It's really easy to do it just outside, standing under the porch. We could do the show from there as a celebratory yeah. thing. So sure. anyway, maybe. Sounds I don't, don't want to make you. any promises, but it would be fun to do that because it's uh-huh. – I, I love seeing communities organized to do something cool. So in this time when people are so busy with other parts of their lives – or distracted by technology or, you know, scared of COVID or something, to see people coming together to do something positive that supports and restores history and engages with their community. This is what we all should be doing. This is like a civics lesson. So thanks for sharing the story with me. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, Laurie, have a good night. Nice talking to you. You too. Bye-bye. That's Laurie Carter. She lives down near Sumner, and she's been involved with a group that's working to save the Ryan House um, they do have Facebook pages, uh, Save the Ryan House Facebook page. We have some links at the Cascade of History Facebook page. And we will definitely keep uh, keep on top of that story because it's, as I just said a moment ago to Lori, all, all, all of my favorite elements of, uh, of community and history and architecture and preservation and small western Washington towns. Um, all right, this is Cascade of History. We're on Space 101.1 FM, which is a, a low-power FM station here in Seattle. We also stream at space101fm.org if you want to get a much clearer signal, if you're getting any static on your FM radio. This show also posts as a podcast on most podcast platforms 
we post the show usually within a half hour or so of it wrapping up and uh, you get it at SoundCloud it's also um, all the other places like Apple and Spotify places like that if you feel like leaving a good review please do that if you feel like leaving a bad review don't do that but uh, we just we just try to talk to people like Lori and about people in Washington Oregon Idaho British Columbia the old Oregon country about history and it's just you know very very broadly defined all right, uh, coming up after this little audio break, uh, we're going to hear a song first. We're going to be talking to Sean Murphy about a, a famous maritime disaster here in the Pacific Northwest. This is Space 101.1 FM, and here is Robin Hitchcock. My favorite buildings are all falling down. Seems like I dwell in a different town. But why should I bother with painting them brown when they'll all be pulled down in the end? My favorite buildings stretch upwards for miles. Remind me somehow of your favorite smiles Like oak leaves in autumn cascading on styles in the rain Nobody seems to know how long all of these buildings belong to every car Might as well sculpt a statue from toothpaste And someday I could have a 50-inch waist It's all free for my favorite building Robin Hitchcock on Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM. Uh, boy, you know, it's uh, about halfway through the show already. Boy, the half hour goes quickly here on this uh, big live broadcast. This is a great station, Space 101.1 FM um, at Magison Park. We're in the historic gatehouse where the Master at Arms quarters were when it was a Navy base, um, you know, back in the uh, back in the most of the 20th century. And then, um, you know, we're just couple, God, maybe a quarter mile away from the big hangars and the seaplane ramp and 
just a f maybe less than a mile south of where the Boeing tested the Clippers they were building back in the late 30s. I mean, the place is just dripping with aviation history. They'll be doing a big centennial event next year for the um, anniversary of the around-the-world flight that the U.S. Army pulled off. Four planes left uh, in the spring, and two made it back in the, in late September, back in 1924. It's, this place is just it's just soaked in history. So if you're going to do a live history show in the Pacific Northwest on a Sunday night, you couldn't pick a better location, and you couldn't pick a better station than Space 101.1 FM. Streaming space101fm.org all around the world and all around the old Oregon country. Um, and it's cool that, you know, uh, Jay's Radio Hour is coming up in about eh, less than a half hour, I think, now. And uh, he's in the sh station tonight live. He's uh, playing songs he found on a trek to OMAC, he said. Hot dance, Finnish music, Finnish with two ends, and a handful of other gems all at the original 78 RPM phonograph records and all played live on the radio at 9 o'clock Pacific time on a Sunday night. Very unusual that live radio is still alive uh, here at the uh, Space 101.1 FM, and I wouldn't want to be doing this show any other place. So, All right, um, this is Cascade of History. Uh, my next guest, Sean Murphy, is joining us. Let's see if we get him on the line here so we can talk about him while he can hear me talking about him. Press that button there and that button there, and then, Sean, you should be there. Are you there, Sean? Well, I'm here, Felix. Oh, that's How are great. you? Good. Thanks for joining us tonight. You know, you were on the show last week, too. I don't know if you know that. Well, I heard I was. I didn't hear it because I was out, but I heard that I was. Yeah, you were brilliant. You you were speaking about Memorial Stadium, and you talked about your Uncle Pat being there on the wall, and you talked about the living memorial. Your, your description of a living memorial was more coherent than what the consultants uh, were saying about the living, the concept of a living memorial. They just, they couldn't get it. Uh, anyway, sour <laughs> grapes on my part. I can't, I can't let go of that whole, that whole debacle. And that we're not done with that story. There's a lot more that will unfold from that. But it was nice to hear your remarks because I, I can't. Remember, I think you spoke before me when we were. Um, I was kind of listening to that meeting online, and then gave my remarks later in the meeting. Um, but it was nice to be able to play that on the air uh, last week. So, um, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. Um, but it, I did. I did mention last week. That's how you and I met. I remember I put the call out on the other radio station for someone who had a relative on that wall, and that was your uncle Pat. So anyway, that, that's, that's right. Six or seven years ago now, I think something like that. I can't remember exactly when. But anyway, and it we've is. done all sorts of other projects in the meantime since then. So, but um, this the tugboat that you're talking that you've been researching for a long time. What? Where is that? What? When did that? When did that sink? Well, tell us. Tell us. Tell us a story about it. I guess is what I'm asking. Well, it sunk November 22nd, 1926, but it wasn't the first sinking, nor was it the first time a crew member died. It, uh, it actually sunk in 19, on April 23rd, 1923 at California when it was owned down there, and it went out to pull the uh, tanker uh, SS, uh, uh, oh, good Lord, it was the... Uh, S.S. Richmond, which was a standard oil tanker, which was speeding in the harbor, hit them so hard, turned them over and sunk them. Wow. And killed a crew member, and then it was brought up, restored, sent up to Washington to be owned by Gilkey Brothers Towing, and that's where my connection came in. And what's, the, what's your connection? The six brothers were that owned the company, Gilkey Brothers Towing, uh, headquartered in Anacortes. Uh, the oldest guilty was my great uncle by marriage. Wow. And so they at one time had upwards of 20 tugs. Some of them went to Foss, you know, when they sold out finally. Um, some went to Puget Sound, Tug and Barge. But this particular one, and you and I have talked about it, is actually 
noted in uh, Bagley's uh, History of City of Seattle in 1916 as three volumes under Moran Brothers Shipyard. Moran, the famous Robert Moran yeah. of uh, Moran State Park up there at Orcas Island, he built these two tugs with steel plates. So they were considered uniquely built in 1902 as steel plates. So now when you say steel plates, you mean the hull is like the steel plates are somehow bolted or welded or how do they, what do you mean? They were, they were, uh, they were uh, bolted in. Yeah. Wow. I'm trying to say that word and for whatever <laughs> reason it escaped me. So wait a second. So Robert Moran, he's the, he's the mayor of Seattle during the fire. He has Moran shipyards yeah. there, which I think is like around Pier 48 or a little bit south of there. Do you? Right in that neighborhood. And yeah. It, it, Yep, and when he was supposedly going to die soon thereafter, which we all know, anyone who know about him, he died many, many years later. <laughs> but when he was told that he was going to die in a few months, he sold the shipyard. And uh, and that shipyard built in Nebraska, you know, the battleship. Anyway. Yeah, that's I a great, that shipyard, that's like one of those things where you think about Seattle industry in the 19th century and the first, maybe the first half of the 20th century. Boy, the shipyards were everything. That was a big part of it. Before and then, before the Boeing came along, and kind of, you know, sort of erased yep. the whole—not didn't erase the history, but sort of took over in terms of what people think of when they think of the Northwest. So, so 1902. So why, you know, why did they choose to build it with steel, steel plates? So you early? know, I I have never been able to find that out ever, and I have searched high and low. What I did do in my search is I came up with a copy of the original blueprint these two sister tugs and you know if you look at the name you think it should be Bahada and that sister tug should be Wayada but I always heard the old tug guys say Bahada and I thought <laughs> where in the world did they get that well one day I was reading about the Pacific Northwest and out there near CQ and the, and the Macaws is what I thought Bahada point but I called the Macaws I said how would you pronounce this and you're in your language. And beta is what I was told. So I now figured out that's what he did. He was using different pronunciations. Uh, Weta Island is uh, what that tug was called. They were sister tugs, as I was saying. Wow. Anyway, the tug was leaving Anacortes with a tow of logs to go up to Fairhaven. And it was going up for um, Puget Sound Sawmill and Shingle Company. And really, the rumor has always been that it was going to be the last tow for Gilkey's. A company was down from Alaska to buy it. Hmm. Now, we have had three dives on the tug. It rests in about 240 feet. And you've met a couple of the divers, you know, Rob Wilson and Paul Hangartner. You've what, met them. Was it ever actually lost, or when was it first discovered by divers? I guess when, it was first, when did someone okay, first dive it, on it? It's one of those deals. First of all, I also digress, saying there was only one body ever found of the nine-man crew. Interesting. And he was on Samish Island, and he died of uh, hypothermia. He was oh, 18 wow. years old, and his brother was the captain. So he survived and, the wreck, but he but he made it ashore, but then died of exposure on shore? Uh, well, no, he actually died of hypothermia probably as he was getting washed up at okay. some point okay. because he had... In his autopsy, they said there was a little bit of water in his lungs, which would have been the last gasp. Mm. But so they knew where it was at the time because the logs were still anchored to it up above. 
Uh, so they knew where it sunk. They all thought it was an explosion, a boiler explosion, because it was steam. And the reasoning behind that was they found part of the pilot house floating. Well, the pilot house came apart when it sank because things in the pilot house were found with absolutely no damage, such as the lighterage switchboard was found on Guimas Island with no damage to it. Wait, what did you call that? The What's the switchboard? The lighterage, you know, for lights. Uh, oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that switchboard was found without any damage whatsoever. So was uh, name board. Uh, there's one name board in the Anacortes Museum. Oh, they uh, so they have it up there at the museum. What about that? Like that's the switch, the switches for the lights. Is someone, does that say you know, we have no idea what happened to it. Could huh. have ended up in somebody's office or what. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Wooten is the one that found it on the beach like 10 days later. Wow. But so in 1933, a guy named Moreno was trying to get government contracts. So they actually tried to raise the tug. They sent a guy down in a diving bell, a guy named Lloyd Wagner, and he rigged these uh, cables to the bag. And then the bags were rigged to the tug instead of running cable under the tug. So they pulled it off the bottom, the bags blew, and they popped off all these things. And so over the years, there was a lot of wrong information that got out. Hmm. Like the book, This Was Deeper, and they said in there that it pulled up the uh, stern tow bit. So the first dive, the guy said, well, what's wrong? There's a stern tow bit on there. But it pulled up where the spring line bit which we've seen in the subsequent dives that had much better visibilities and much better filming, they saw that there is no spring line pit. So what happened was when the bag flew, it just popped things off. And huh. so there was some things that were actually brought up from the tug. And then over the years, it just kind of got lost in history, so to speak. Yeah. And you've, you've either met or have known about Peter Hunt I got a hold of Pete, and he went out with the coordinates I gave him and found the tug in like <laughs> five minutes. And, uh, and so the first dive was off his boat, and then there was a subsequent couple dives, uh, better visibilities in September of 17 and 18. And the, the film, the videos were given to me, and I used those in a presentation that I give. And what I really did with this, Felix, and what became important to me was to kind of get to know the crewmen, the ones that died. And I actually met a couple granddaughters of the captain at wow. my very first presentation and then sadly lost contact with them to be able to give them a better idea of what happened. Because the last dive, we really believe we came up with the actual cause. We and we believe it was a collision. Okay. But and, wait, before you go further, what does a wreck look like now? I mean, how does it look? Is it obviously identifiable as a tug, or do you have to sort of kind of know what you're looking at to, to tell well, what it is? Well, it has the uh, superstructure, which is, you know, on, on top of the deck house. Uh-huh. It's still there. I mean, I mean, the deck, excuse me. Uh, so the deck house is there. The, the, the hull is intact, reasonably so, other than the damage they found. You actually see the uh, rudder on it. Wow. Or um, yeah, and, and you can actually see the head or the toilet in there. Huh. And, 
you know, being who I am, I asked Paul if he had used it because there was plenty of water in there. But yeah, yeah. That's everybody. Let's pause, everybody. That's Sean Murphy. That's a classic Sean Murphy moment right there. <laughs> well, I can't help it. but you know, uh, Felix, the, the the thing of it is, these guys recognize it's a great site. Yeah. So there was no entrances in there, and who knows what human remains, even if any, still exist. But the fact is, each died. Rob and Paul would tell the guys, remember, this is a grave site. Do not do anything that would disturb or disrespect the fact that it's a grave site. Yeah. And we were real clear with family members um, that I talked to of the guilty that, hey, these guys respect it, and they do. And that, so nothing has come out of that tug inside that tug in any way, manner, shape, or form. Okay, so tell me now about this, what you've discovered in terms of evidence and what you think the evidence points to for why, the, why it's saying. On the, last, on the last dive, Rob was down there just before the end of their dive, noticed significant damage inbound, meaning pushed in on a plate, pushed in quite a ways, and it had the... Uh, the way that it was pushed in looked like the bow of something hitting it. Wow. And I have always felt that it could conceivably, that was one of the, okay, if it wasn't a boiler, it blows, and they said, well, it could be in iron. But that's pretty hard to do with towing logs. In irons means basically the tow comes along parallel with, and then the cable can pull the towing boat over. Uh, it can if they get in irons. Oh, I get you. Okay. Clearly that that okay. happened. So, uh, is there any suspect vessel that would have collided with, based on the any research you've been able to do or anything like that? All I can tell you is in 1926, at the height of the prohibition, um, whether it was one of the fast rum runners or whether it was another tug or a fishing boat. You know, I've talked to a number of people that have studied the Prohibition. In fact, one, a guy named Rick James. Oh, I've talked know, to Rick before. He wrote a book a couple of years ago, published by a correct. publisher out of Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. Okay, continue. Rick said everything that floated pulled, you know, pulled alcohol. My late grandmother used to, say, used to tell us all the time, oh, yeah, they brought alcohol out of Canada. Yeah. And remember, it was her sister that was married in and, uh, and knew... The guilties, well, we knew them, too, but, I mean, that's beside the point. The, the tug guys, the fishing boats, all of them would bring their alcohol. Many times, the revenuers uh, would leave them alone if they were applying their trade. They were looking for the fast rum runners off the mothership. That's what they were trying to bust. And so my feeling all along has been a collision could have taken it down, and whatever boat collided with it, whether it was another tug hauling alcohol, remember opium was also something people hauled. It wasn't illegal, but the guys and people were not paying taxes. That's what made it illegal. Ah, uh, that's and right. So, you know, whether they were laden with alcohol, laden with opium, whether they were laden with both, I feel that whatever hit them could not afford to stand by. Hit them in such a way that also is the same side that the SS Richmond hit in on April 23rd of 1923. 
was the repair work good enough? And, uh-huh. you know, so there's there's those kinds of things that come into play. But it was just, and, it, and, and the guys are not seeing rock down there where the tug is in the area. Because they looked around to see if they could find another boat. There's nothing else down there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's not like the tug hit and hit a rock. And, and no. what, what time of night did they, did they go down? It would have been somewhere after midnight up until about 2 in the morning. Okay. And what time, now, of year, what time of year was it again that they went down in 26? November. November. 20, okay. December um, And uh, in 1926, I'm sure they didn't have any kind of radio aboard at all, did they? Well, some did have radio, and, but they also used steam whistles. Yeah. You know. Now, in this case, there, well, there was nothing that got out. Other than there has been a couple people back then who claimed they heard a whistle. Hmm. Now, the Coast Guard said the people that claimed it would have been too far away. At the same time, we don't know how the noise traveled that night uh, with weather conditions. We have no idea. Uh, how, how, did they, how did they first get word on shore that, 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 that there had been a wreck? How did they get word? Yeah. Okay, the person, the company from Alaska, the person called and said, hey, it hasn't gotten to Bellingham. Uh, it was going It was going to the uh, Puget Sound Sawmill and Shingle Company up in Fairhaven. Okay. And they had gotten to Anacortes too late, so they drove up to Bellingham and found out it hadn't gotten there. Uh, and they called, well, then when, um, oh my goodness gracious, I can, uh, the Colshan, the uh, uh, Mosquito Fleet Ferry Colshan okay. pulled into Anacortes, and the Gilkeys said, have you seen the Bahada? And they said, well, no, but we saw logs out there floating uh, between north of Saddlebag and Huckleberry Island on the east side of Gleeman, Wow. which would have been the very, when they left Anacortes, they would have gone through Huckleberry and Saddlebag. And they would have been on the east side of Guaymas heading to Fairhaven. Gotcha. And so they immediately went out there and realized that was the raft that they were pulling. And was there any kind of attempt to, to go down to the depth the, the tug was in 1926? Or was it more just like cut the log raft free and just like they're, they're lost at sea kind of thing? They thought about dragging it. And they, they came up with an idea to try to drag it towards the beach and that idea never had any uh, fly. Oh, like yeah. using the tow cable that was still attached to the log raft. Right. Wow. So they untached that, of course, and took the logs and towed them away. Yeah. But there was a guy, and I don't have it right in front of me, Felix, but I have the info on it. There was a man that had a hotel in Anacortes who had built this diving contraption, and he had. Uh, the Branyan, which were one, they were the family of one of the uh, people dead uh, on the crew. But the Branyans paid quite a bit of money trying to get uh, searches for bodies. I've always felt that five or six of the bodies went down on the tug. Okay. Two wouldn't have. The one at the helm, James Hurd, he would have floated away, obviously, and then drowned and died and just never found him. And then uh, uh, George Hansen, who was the 
captain or master, he would have been in his bunk, and that was a wood uh, quarters right behind the pilot house. It would have come apart, so he would not have gone down in the tug. Okay. Uh, so the other guys would have been either in their bunks or on duty down in the engine room, boiler room, and I believe that one deckhand would have been in his bunk, the one that was found, he was he was swimming, tried to get ashore, and yeah. so the cook would have been in his bunk. So I believe they went down in the tug. Okay. Uh, but they tried with this gentleman, again, I can't think of his name That's right. That's okay. Off. That's all right. And he went down in this contraption of his, and it was too, the water was too swift, and he didn't uh-huh. have real power to move around well enough. And so he was not able to get a good visual of the uh, tug and possible bodies on the bottom down there. So. so, Sean, one thing, you know, in the different projects that I've talked to you about and that I've helped a little bit with, on, you know, in very, very minor ways and some of the stuff that you and Lee Corbin were doing around that, that lost um, training plane that disappeared from Sandpoint, like right where I'm talking to you tonight, over in, the, in Black Lake yep. and this Cascades and stuff you've helped me with on that other airliner project I'm working on and stuff. There's sort of a, I get this, there's a sense that you're doing this. There's a, there's a deep reason that you do these, pursue these, um, I don't know, call them mysteries, almost trivializes it. It's more just sort of uh, seeking the truth about these lost people and lost stories. And it seems like it's really personal for you. It is. It is because I think, you know, I, you know, you and I've talked, I'm, I'm, former active pilot. I've lost friends in plane crashes, but each and every one of them were found. Um, You know, in this case, these guys weren't found. Uh, You can go up other than the one that was found on Samish Island, and he's buried in Anacortes. But uh, the the thing that I've always, that's always resonated with me is these families are left with questions. And there is no answer for them as long as they aren't found or whatever. The, in this case, we can't give them an answer. Did their you know, loved one die of injury in the tug or did he drown? But we were able to give them some answers to what the tug happened to it, where it went down, why it went down. And the same thing with what Lee and, you know, the guys that helped us out up there, we were able to give those families some answers, you know, or consolidate the answers, meaning yeah. we think we were given the answers years ago, but we came along and subsequently proved that it, that it happened. Yeah. And and I, I just think anyone that's been lost and not found, uh, it's damaging to family. It really is. Yeah. And because they live with wondering. You know, what happened? Why did it happen? You know, with the airliner that we're dealing with. You yeah. talked with all those families. You know what they're, what it's like for them. Yeah, absolutely. And those are things I didn't have to go through in my life. Yep. But, but I've personally seen these people, like the first, like I say, the first presentation, these two women came that claimed to be granddaughters. And just love the fact that people were trying to give them answers. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's cool because it's it's 
I mean, that's I figured that out about you pretty early on. I mean, this is obviously this is a total volunteer. This is a labor of love for you. You're not getting paid by the hour to do any of this, I assume, right? <laughs> and no. that, that's what's cool. So, well, I'm really glad you're able to share the story. Is there a is there a next step with this project, or is there a place where people can get more information online, or what's if they want to go deeper on this on this old tug? What what can people do? Well, they, you know, if they really want to, you know. I guess is <laughs> try to get more dives on it. But uh, realistically, uh, they can contact me. You have my, you know, they can contact you. And if you think they're really legit, give them. My- <laughs> well, put the pressure on me. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> well, I trust you. Man. Organize no, your organize no, your groupies no. for you. Thanks. No, I would be welcome to talk with them further. I'm doing a presentation tomorrow night for the Tenino Depot Museum. Oh, is that uh, open to the public? You know, it's their dinner night. Oh, uh, <laughs> free dinner. Wow, free yeah. dinner with Sean Murphy. <laughs> well, actually, I can bring someone with me. But, uh, yeah. My okay. family has all seen either one or two of my presentations. <laughs> Only and that it, many? <laughs> well, God, I'm up to, like, I don't know, 13, 14, whatever it is. That's awesome. And, uh, they're probably thinking, oh, my Lord, is he ever going to stop talking about that? No, no, no. no. Keep it up, Sean. All right. Well, listen, uh, we're running about running out of time here on Cascade of History, but it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Sean. I'm going to see you in a couple days. But anyway, yep. um, thanks for sharing that part of the story. I'd love to hear more about it. And if other discoveries are made, I'd love to have you back on again. But uh, thanks for doing that work. I know, I know how important that work is. And, and I know it's your motives are pure, which is very cool. So Well, just thank the guys that put their dives down there like rob wilson paul handgartner guys like that they don't mind me giving their names out because they go to these different ones with me but those guys dive 247 feet down there and uh, those are the guys that also need to be thanked for doing this for those families that's a scary depth that's not just like uh, get your uh, scuba mask or your uh, snorkel gear out right that's that's actually no, serious real diving but I don't think they want me to give out their names. But those two guys have gone to presentations with me. So anyway, Very cool. but those guys need to be thanked for what they do. All right, Sean. Hey, have a good evening. Thanks for joining us on Cascade of History, okay? You got it, Talk buddy. to you later. Talk Bye. Sean Murphy, intrepid explorer, history guy, former pilot, uh, Army veteran, I think, and just a really decent guy, really doing doing all sorts of cool work in history and and solving mysteries for families to get closure on uh, people they lost uh, in old maritime and aviation disasters. Well, we're about reaching the end of another episode of Cascade of History here from Space 101.1 FM and streaming at space101fm.org. Coming up next is Jay's Radio Hour. We already talked about all the magical stuff he... uh, Was it a a boxcar full or a truckload full of these uh, from OMAC? Can you get a train from OMAC anymore? Yeah. In the email, I read, first I read it as Omaha, and I thought, wow, Omaha, that's pretty far. But then I saw it was Omax. So anyway, having a little side conversation here with Jay for his show that's coming up just in a couple minutes. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode of Cascade of History. Go to our Facebook page if you have ideas for stories or there's cool stuff that's going on in your community that you might be doing around history that you know of. We just we love to hear from our listeners, and the Facebook page is the best way to get in touch with us. Until next week. I am Felix Bunnell for Cascade of History here on Space 101.1 FM. Have a good rest of your week, everybody. That sound means the steamer Columbia has reached the end of another thrilling voyage around the Pacific Northwest. 
Be careful as you go ashore. Watch it. Watch it. That's a slippery spot there. Oh, I'll bet that hurt. When that whistle blows once again, be sure to meet us at the landing and be ready to climb aboard a little more carefully next time for Cascade of History. Cascade of History is produced in Seattle by Felix Bonnell.